Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 5. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're at the right podcast. Today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 5, No Place Like Home, where Buffy strives to learn what's making her mother ill, confronts Dawn, and faces a powerful new foe. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com, where you can learn more about fiction writing, publishing, and book marketing. As to No Place Like Home, today we'll talk about how the writers made it harder and harder and harder for Buffy, the protagonist. Questions about the climax, an ephemeral antagonist, and a theme of anger management. No spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the hellmouth. No Place Like Home aired the first time on October 24, 2000. It was written by Douglas Petrie and directed by David Solomon. We start with opening conflict from two months ago. Monks scramble to do a spell or a ritual before the beast finds them. They hear pounding on huge metal doors as they race to finish. Something bursts in, but there's a flash of light so we don't see the beast itself. The scene switches to present day. Buffy in a fenced empty lot near a warehouse fights a very large vampire who wants to kill the Slayer. Buffy jokes as she fights that they both have a lot of unexpressed rage, but she's doing a better job dealing with it. And then, as he dusts, says, I think that sets the world speed record for closure. This is the start of what I see as an anger management theme in the episode. Buffy's anger comes out later. Here she seems very much like her quippy, perky self. We'll also see Dawn's anger, and the villain of this piece also is very, very angry. Going back to that opening conflict with the monks, sometimes the opening conflict in a story relates to the main plot and sometimes not. It's there to draw the viewer or reader in. Here, those monks' efforts relate indirectly to the main plot, which is Buffy searching for an answer to her mother's continued illness. As far as whether it draws us in, I always struggle with flashbacks at the start of the episode, partly because they rarely, if ever, feature Buffy or any of our core characters. And it's a lot how I feel about prologues that involve other characters, whether it's in a, a book or a movie. As soon as I start to be invested in them, everything changes. However, I do think this one works because it is so key to the story, as we'll find out, and because we're at the fifth episode of the season, and more than any of the ones that came before, season five really focuses on that season-long arc. So I am, though the first time through, I didn't know that. On rewatch, I'm much more willing to go along with those types of flashbacks. And there aren't a ton of them in the season, minor spoiler. 
After Buffy slays the vampire, a security guard appears. He thinks Buffy's looking for a rave and tells her she's too late. He chased kids away last night. He's very nice about it. And Buffy says, my fellow ravers will be so disappointed. It was my turn to bring the bunt cake. He tells her if it was up to him, he'd let them go ahead. No one's using the warehouse, but he's not paid enough to argue with the boss. As she's about to leave, he tells her to take whatever this is with her and hands her what looks like a shiny, glowing ball. It's the size of a 16-inch softball, for those of you who have ever played that. I understand that's sort of a Chicago thing, um, but the 16 inches gives a clue as to the size. And the guard says, glow balls, I swear I don't get your generation. He asks her what it is. Buffy says she'll let him know when she finds out. What I love about this scene is nothing in it is wasted. The anger issues banter goes to that theme I mentioned. And the security guard is going to return later. So it will be clear why it was worth showing Buffy interacting with the guard. And I do love that Your Generation reference, which I think can't be accidental, given that to every generation a slayer is born. Now we go to credits. We come back at 3 minutes 30 seconds in. Buffy is finishing making French toast. She sets it on a breakfast tray that's very pretty. It has a bud vase with a flower on it. And Buffy warns Dawn not to touch anything. But Dawn immediately does and knocks over the vase. Joyce comes out into the kitchen and is impressed. She asks if you two did all this. Dawn says, oh, Buffy helped. And Buffy says, well, I didn't help. And Joyce cuts in, oh, I'm sure you did and sits at the counter looking weary. Buffy's clearly frustrated and angry at Dawn, but seeing how Joyce looks so exhausted, she lets it go. Joyce half jokes about she hopes neither of them is pregnant, failing, or under indictment, but Buffy assures her that they knew she wasn't feeling great, so they wanted her to have breakfast in bed. Joyce tells them the headaches the doctor said would go away, came back and brought friends. She's got new medication, and they told her to return for tests. Buffy wants a second opinion, and Joyce points out that they need a first opinion first. Such a realistic reaction by both Buffy and Joyce to this unexplained illness. Joyce also reminds Buffy that Joyce is the mom. Buffy doesn't need to worry about her. Joyce will worry about them, which is good, she says, quote, because you're a vampire slayer and you, she hugs Dawn, who's leaning against her and continues, you are my little pumpkin belly. When Buffy asks if Joyce ever had a kid name for her, Joyce responds that she thinks she was always just Buffy. Somehow Joyce makes that sound nice, though, and she urges Buffy to go out for Giles' big day, the opening of the magic box. Then Joyce and Dawn talk about their book club, which surprises Buffy and makes her a little jealous. She tells Joyce to relax while she's gone to put her feet up. Dawn chimes in that Joyce can check her rainforest report, and then there's a jillion board games they can play, and Buffy changes her mind about not taking Dawn with her and drags her out of the room. 
We're now a little past 10% through at 5 minutes 43 seconds in. Usually at 10%, we see a story spark or inciting incident that gets the main plot rolling. As I was outlining the episode, I struggled a little with what the main plot was. I'll talk more about that as I go through, but I ended in concluding it was Buffy trying to help her mother. That begins with this previous scene. Right around 4 minutes 27 seconds in, Buffy says they should get a second opinion. That's right around 10% through, and the whole scene is about Buffy trying to help her mom, asking about doctor visits, and worrying about Joyce. So I think that all of that sets off the main plot. In the next scene, Buffy enters the magic shop. Giles stands in the middle wearing a sorcerer's robe and hat, and she just looks at him, and he looks at her, and she stares more at him with this expression that causes him to take off the hat and coat uh, with a sort of sigh, and we can tell he wasn't super comfortable in it or convinced it was the right approach, and now he's a little embarrassed. Dawn Panting enters the store behind Buffy. She's really impressed by the magic box and says, check out all the magic junk. Giles responds, our new slogan. Dawn asks when the store opens for customers, and he tells her since 9 that morning. But he's not worried. He has a good feeling. Magic is a small niche market, but, quote, Sunnydale, monsters, supply and demand. They'll be lining up around the block in no time, end quote. Giles then notices that Buffy seems down, and she tells him about Joyce and the highly trained medical staff that's working around the clock to tell them nothing. Willow and Riley enter. Willow is disappointed Giles is not wearing his robe and hat. Buffy shows them all the glowing ball. Giles opines it's paranormal, but when asked why, he says because it's so shiny. Riley says they should patrol again tonight. And now is when Buffy really gets angry at Dawn because Dawn says, you can't patrol, Buffy said. Buffy says, no, I didn't. And Dawn continues, yeah, remember you said it'd be easier if you didn't have to look out for anybody. Buffy tries to claim she wasn't talking about Riley, but Dawn sets the record straight, saying, oh, she just said you look even cuter when you're all weak and kitteny, and she better go solo or you'd get hurt. So welcome to the club. She'll never let me go either. I really think Buffy ought to have taken Riley aside and claimed that she said that just to make Dawn feel better about not being able to go along. But she doesn't think of that and everyone glares at Dawn and Dawn says, what? What? I struggle a bit to believe that Dawn doesn't get why this might upset Riley. The actress does a wonderful job. She plays it as Dawn not understanding, genuinely not getting it, but I just find it hard to believe that Dawn is that clueless. She's supposed to be 14. She knows about what happened with Riley, and I I feel like this is part of why I struggle with Dawn as a character, because some of the most egregious things that she does or says don't feel authentic to me. Riley is not happy. He asks 
Giles about the training room, he needs a little rehab right now. Willow takes Buffy aside, urges her to go easy on Dawn, but Buffy tells Willow she doesn't understand how annoying Dawn is and continues, especially now that mom's sick. She's all over her while I have to be the grown-up, and the two of them are like the giggle twins, and why can't I ever be little pumpkin belly? Willow responds, well, I don't feel qualified to address the last part, but I can tell you that Dawn's not just the youngest, she's the baby, and maybe your mom needs that right now. Which probably gets to the heart of why Buffy is so hard on Dawn and feels so angry, aside from that Dawn is clearly written to be annoying. But Buffy, since she became the Slayer, has had to be very grown up, except sometimes with Joyce. She got to be the teenager or the child again. She fought against that. We saw it over and over. But in a way, just having that fight was a sort of break. Joyce was the parent. Buffy was the child. And now that Joyce is ill, Buffy probably would have to take on more of a grown-up role regardless at home. But having Dawn there is such a stark contrast to her. It looks like Dawn is just blissfully being the baby, being cuddled and taken care of and getting to be cute and giggle with her mom while Buffy understands the seriousness of what is happening. So there is no place in her life that she gets to be a child. This also is such a perfect setup for what Buffy will learn in this episode. Buffy is longing for the exact opposite of what she gets. She's longing for some easing of all this weight and responsibility, a little bit of escape now and then, and she tries to find out what's wrong with her mom to help Joyce, but also to help herself. And it turns out there is no easy answer. And she, in the face of her mother's illness, will feel even more ineffective and helpless than before. Buffy tells Willow Dawn doesn't care what Joyce needs. And Willow has no idea how much Buffy wishes she were an only child these days. And Dawn breaks something in the background. At 9 minutes 44 seconds in, Dawn and Buffy get home. Joyce is on the couch in a lot of pain. Buffy wants to take her to the doctor, but Joyce tells her just get a refill of the medication. She can get it at the hospital pharmacy. There, Buffy runs into Ben, the intern. He's with a man on a gurney who is being admitted for psychiatric issues, and the man tries to lunge off the gurney. Buffy helps control him and realizes it's the security guard from earlier. The guard, very agitated, grips Buffy's hand, the one holding the pill bottle, and tells her it doesn't help. It doesn't make a damn bit of difference. Buffy tells Ben the man isn't crazy, she knows him, and the security guard tells her not to think she's above it, they'll get to her through her family. He's insistent as he keeps ranting, but before she can ask more, he's wheeled away. This is 11 minutes, 11 seconds in when the guard says, your family, one last time. This is where I look for that first major plot turn that I think of as the one-quarter twist because it often comes 25% through. And it should come from outside the protagonist, spin the story in a new direction, and raise the stakes. 
And right around that point, Ben is sympathetic. He asks Buffy if her mom is getting any better. And Buffy responds, not yet, but she she will be. I'm starting to figure out what's wrong. So this is a major turn that Buffy now believes something supernatural is causing Joyce's illness. And this will spin the story because that is what Buffy is going to pursue. There's also a turn in what I'll call the villain plot, and this is part of my why I struggled because the first time I saw the episode, I definitely thought this new villain was the main plot, and we'll see how that doesn't quite fit with the way the story moves forward. Right now, though, a monk in a deserted warehouse has candles and a map, and there's banging on the heavy metal doors, and he says the beast uh, in another language. I don't recognize the language. Maybe someone out there knows what it was. The metal door bursts in, and a tall woman in a bright red dress, sandals with high heels, and long curly blonde hair says she's been looking all over for him. We go back to the magic box. Giles checks out a customer. He's very excited. People came in. He gave them things. They gave him money and they left. Anya, though, is not happy. Giles' conjuring powder is so expensive. Everything is. And she goes on, I never had to afford things before and it's making me bitter. Giles tells her the change is palpable. At 13 minutes, 37 seconds in, Buffy bursts in and tells them, that what's hurting Joyce is supernatural. She grabs the glowing ball and explains the security guard who found it went crazy overnight. Everyone takes a step back, but Buffy assures them it won't hurt them. She had it on her all night. She explains about the guard's comments about they'll come at her through her family and says, quote, whatever touched this guy, it made him see through what the rest of us are seeing, end quote. Giles isn't so sure about this, but Buffy is adamant. She needs to find who's doing this, and she says, then I hunt them, find them, and kill them. This seems almost like that midpoint commitment, where at the midpoint in a story, typically a protagonist will make a vow, fully commit to the quest, or suffer a major reversal, but we are pretty early on in the story. We now cut to the woman. We'll find out in another episode, minor spoiler, that her name is Glory. And I'm just going to use her name because it's, it's easier than trying to not name her for this episode. At 14 minutes, 38 seconds in, she paces around the monk who now looks pretty beat up and he's tied to a chair and his mouth is covered with duct tape. She rants about how she's the victim here. She doesn't even want to be here, meaning not this warehouse or this state or planet, but the whole mortal coil. It's disgusting, the food, the clothes, the people. And she tells him that she's hurt by his incredibly selfish behavior. All she wants is the key. She almost tears up as she asks why he won't tell her where it is. Then she sits on his lap, tears off the duct tape, and again demands to know where the key is. She grips his nose, squeezing, and says, or I'm going bowling. He tells her to kill him. He's speaking in his own language. She tells him they're in the new world. Speak American. In English, he tells her that he will tell her nothing. 
She puts her hands in her hair, looking like she's about to pull at it. She seems more and more exhausted and distraught. She tells him she wishes he could feel what she's feeling. From behind her, a man she chained up begs her to let him go. He tells her he has a wife and they have two daughters. Glory now her back to a concrete pillar, half yells, half cries, partly whines, and she is losing it. She's sad. She's angry. She thinks the monk loves to torture her, and she goes on this disconnected rant, much of which doesn't make a lot of sense and includes comments on the mortal coil and wriggling, climbing, crawling. Her disconnected mental state is also shown by the way the scene is cut between her expressions and her words as if we are missing parts of it. Finally, she puts her hands on either side of that chained man's forehead. Bright light shoots out as her fingers plunge into his head and she yells and more light streams out his mouth. The man howls as glory grimaces and then he's on the ground he staggers away mumbling what sounds like nonsense but glory now feels fantastic some listener comments Sharon on Twitter asked after the episode where Spike and Harmony threatened the doctor to try to get Spike's chip out. He said, did they ever give a reason why Buffy didn't confront Spike at the end given what happened? And I said I would keep an eye out for that. And we are going to see Buffy and Spike together shortly but she doesn't make any reference to that attempt. She's not happy to see him for sure, but she doesn't really treat him as if he just entered into a nearly successful plot to kill Buffy. And by the way, him abducting the doctor made it a really close call for Riley. I don't know if the lack of reference to that could be there was just no room or time to put it in this episode, or it's a holdover from when Buffy originally aired, because at that point, most people just watched the episodes as they came up on TV. So if you missed the previous episode, the show probably wouldn't want to spoil it if they could help it, although it could be that was in the previously on. I, I don't know. So it is a little odd that Buffy never directly addresses that. She does punch Spike, though, as we'll see. I also got some great comments from Roberta Lip, co-host of the They Coined It Mad Men podcast. As far as the Dracula episode, Roberta uh, liked Dracula in the Buffyverse a lot more than I did. She says, I always love the idea of Dracula. To me, it's this. As a culture, we learned about vampires via Dracula. The Dracula world was the myth. Then other vampire universes got created, like the Buffyverse. We go four seasons into this world, a world where we assume Dracula doesn't exist. Then he shows up. We'd forgotten all about him. And to Buffy, in her world, he was exactly what he was to us, a myth, a movie monster. After all, vampires don't look or act like that, but there he is, being all Dracula, with his sidekicks and his thrall. It's hilarious. It always worked for me. 
that made me retroactively enjoy Dracula more um, hearing that take on it. And then Roberta also commented on uh, what I said about Buffy liking some monster in her man that I thought that, well, she fell for Angel before she knew he was a vampire. But Roberta makes a really good point. Think about what she did know. Night Skulker, a little older, mysterious, evasive, sad. Didn't matter that she didn't know um, that he was a vampire. She knew he was dark and different. And I think that is a terrific point as well. It's not as if Angel just seemed like a regular guy to her. She knew there was something about him. Probably there is an element where Buffy wants a little monster in her man, and maybe Riley could never be that. If you have comments you would like to share about this episode or anything Buffy, you can tweet me at Lisa M. Lily. You can comment on YouTube, lisalily.com slash YouTube. Or if you're a patron, you can message me through the Patreon account. Or check out the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page where I post each episode, lisalily.com slash Facebook. At 18 minutes, 28 seconds in, the magic box is very busy. Anya and Willow handle the counter. Uh, Willow does gift wrapping that Anya says looks like she did it with her feet. Giles answers questions. He seems quite overwhelmed and says, too many of them, people, and they all seem to want things. Xander tells him, stay British, he'll be okay. And I find it nice that Xander is a calming influence here. Anya finishes helping a customer and says, please go. Xander says, Anya, the shopkeepers union of America called. They want me to tell you that please go just got replaced with have a nice day. And Anya responds, but I have their money. Who cares what kind of day they have? Xander responds, no one. It's just a long cultural tradition of raging insincerity. Embrace it. Anya does, calling after a customer. Hey, you, have a nice day. Xander says, there's my girl. He then approaches Buffy, who's oblivious to the retail chaos as she goes through a reference book. She tells him someone put a spell on Joyce to make it seem like she's sick. She's got the list of suspects narrowed to just under infinity. Anya tells Buffy about an ancient monk who had this spell that demons hated. Giles and Willow chime in with details. The spell, which is really more of a trance, reveals the trace signature of other spells that are cast. So Buffy might see a hand or a cloud of mist around Joyce, but it takes great concentration. Both Willow and Giles worry about Buffy trying it. Giles says the monk's skills at achieving the altered states were legendary. Now we are reaching the midpoint of the episode, and Buffy does make a major commitment to find out what's happening to her mother. At 21 minutes, 10 seconds in, Buffy tells them she wants to do the trance. She's been practicing her concentration and doing all that training. Giles, still skeptical, says, but are you ready? Buffy commits, saying, it's my mom. I'll get ready. What do I need? 
this commitment will be followed by a minor reversal and later what appears to be a major one. The minor one involves the Riley subplot that has been running through these early episodes. Buffy in her bedroom has magic colored sand, incense, and other supplies. Riley is there. She asked for his help. This is all new terrain. Quote, all praying, no slaying, end quote. Riley's ready and willing to help, but correctly perceives that there's not much for him to do, just light incense and pour sand, and Buffy has to do the spell alone. He also infers that she's trying to help him feel less cute and weak and kittenish. Buffy corrects it to kitteny with a half smile, and Riley, very centered and calm, tells her he really is okay. So he's not quite super guy anymore. It was borrowed power. Buffy tells him she knows he can handle himself. She just didn't want to see him get hurt. I like Riley a lot more in this episode, and I question Buffy sidelining him. Willow and Xander patrol with her at times, so why not Riley? She seems like she is overly cautious. Now, it could be that she does love Riley and is more concerned about him getting hurt, but I I don't think Buffy's cavalier about her friends getting hurt or doesn't care about them. So it it is understandable that Riley is not thrilled that she's trying to keep him away. He, though, is very reasonable about it here, and he suggests instead of her trying to take care of him, they agree to take care of each other. She agrees to that. He kisses her forehead for luck, and she tells him a girl needs more luck than that. After a real kiss, Riley leaves, telling her to have a nice trip. Buffy lights the incense and sits cross-legged in a circle of sand, but Dawn knocks on the door, asks what she's doing. Buffy says, my boyfriend, go away. Dawn doesn't buy it. She saw Riley leave, and she really, really wants to watch. When Buffy refuses, she threatens to tell Joyce and then stalks off. I have a rare moment of empathy for Dawn here because I was the kid sister who always wanted to hang out with my older brothers and their friends. Um, my brother's band practiced in the basement, which uh, kudos to my mom for having a rock band in her basement four nights a week. So I get why Dawn wants to be included, and I get why she's upset that Buffy's so mean about it, though I don't empathize with the threatening to tell. I think I did that when I was maybe 10 or 11. Uh, Once or twice, Dawn seems to default to that. This does a nice job, though, of building Dawn's anger in the episode because Buffy has been mad at her the whole time and Dawn feels angry back and now she's angry at being excluded. At 24 minutes, 22 seconds in, we see beautiful, calming outdoor scenes as Buffy meditates. I wish I could describe these better. I always enjoy that part of the episode. I'm not sure why, but it's not that often we get to see the sort of mystic interior of what Buffy experiences as the Slayer. Eventually, she comes back to herself. It's night. Everything in the filming is a little bit off color-wise throughout the next moments and minutes, and Buffy, as she moves, is almost in slow motion. 
She goes down the stairs and Joyce's voice has an echoey quality as she calls out to Buffy. She's feeling better and she's heading out for a while. Buffy looks at Joyce and says, nothing, because she sees no spell, no mist, nothing around Joyce. And when Buffy says nothing a second time, Joyce is confused and concerned that Buffy seems so out of it. This is another seeming reversal for Buffy that after all this effort, she's not seeing any evidence of a spell around Joyce, but then she sees a photo of herself with Dawn and Joyce, and Dawn blinks in and out of existence. Though distracted, Buffy reassures Joyce she's okay, tells her to go have a good time. Joyce smiles and says, you're so grown up. Echoing Buffy's feelings and what Buffy is struggling with right as Buffy is seeing through this spell around Dawn, which I think can't be accidental. I am truly in awe of the way Doug Petrie wove in these key moments. No word, no action, no scene is wasted here. After Joyce leaves, Buffy goes through the house getting more and more distraught. She looks at other photos with the same effect. In Dawn's room, Dawn's things blink away for seconds at a time. Paintings, uh, other items that are stored in the room appear, so it used to be used as a storage room. Now Dawn enters the room and she too blinks in and out as she asks who said Buffy could come into her room. At 27 minutes, 37 seconds in, Buffy says, you're not my sister. She grabs Dawn, demands to know what she is. Dawn yells at her to get off. She doesn't even want to be related to her. And Buffy says, you stay away from my mother. Buffy throws Dawn against the wall. It's not as hard as she would a demon. So she's she's not unleashing full slayer power here, but she uses a lot of force and the two glare at each other until the phone rings breaking the tension. I thought Sarah Michelle Gellar did an excellent job here because I got the sense that Buffy is, she's frightened, she's angry. At this moment, she's convinced somehow Dawn is not human, is doing something to hurt Joyce, but there is enough of her feeling about her sister and seeing Dawn as her sister that she is not sure she is not going to um she's not going to try to slay dawn at this point it's giles on the phone and he tells buffy that they may have underestimated what they're dealing with the glowing ball is called the dagon sphere it's meant to repel that which cannot be named and to ward off ancient primordial evil Buffy tells him she'll go back to the factory. Whoever planted it there must know something. Giles tells her be careful and goes on. Anything that goes unnamed is usually an object of deep worship or fear or both. Dawn appears behind Buffy just as Giles asks about the spell. Buffy claims it didn't work. When Dawn asks what she was talking about, Buffy says, Slayer stuff, and she's going out. And Dawn says, Do you really think I care you're the Slayer? And Buffy says, What's that supposed to mean? Dawn gives her a look. Buffy says she'll be home in an hour. And Dawn, in a very sassy voice, says, Mom's coming back. Buffy tells her, I'll be back first. Throughout this exchange, Dawn seems a little ominous and 
evil. But when I look closely to see if the writers and the directors were misleading us in an unfair way, I didn't think so. Don is legitimately angry at Buffy and frightened of her. And a lot of this sort of uh, evil aspect comes from the lighting and the music as well. And you can definitely read this both ways. At 30 minutes, 15 seconds in, Buffy exits, but she senses something outside and pulls Spike out from behind a tree. And this is that scene I mentioned earlier. Spike seems nervous. He says, hi, Buffy. She punches him, asks what he's doing there. But as he starts to talk, she says five words or less. And Spike, counting on his fingers as he speaks, says, out for a walk. Then he holds up his thumb and says, bitch, which created a lot of gifts on uh, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you want to look. I said that Buffy doesn't refer back to Spike's attempt to get the chip out, and she doesn't, but perhaps her impatience, her five words or less, has to do with that. Spike informs her that her house is, quote, directly between parts or other parts of this town, end quote, and tells her it's not all about her. Buffy tells him she'll cut him a break just this one time. He's not impressed with her threats to kill him, pointing out that she never does it. And then he says, you know, I'm just passing through. Satisfied? Huh. You know, I really hope so, because God knows you need some satisfaction in life besides shagging Captain Cardboard, and I never really liked you anyway, and, and you have stupid hair. Buffy walks away shaking her head, even though she notices all the cigarette butts on the ground that tell her Spike was hanging out for a while. Upstairs, Dawn is silhouetted in the window watching Buffy leave. Buffy reaches the warehouse around 32 minutes in and looks around, but then we immediately cut to Joyce returning home. Dawn emerges from the back of the house holding a cup of tea and Joyce asks where Buffy is. Dawn responds, you don't have to worry about her. And again, the music and lighting make Dawn seem very ominous, as does her serious expression. Joyce agrees Dawn's probably right. It's not like Buffy never patrolled before. Joyce returned early because she was feeling kind of, what's the medical term? Crappy. And called off her night out. Dawn asks if she wants tea and says, I made it for you. Making us wonder the first time around whether there's poison in the tea or some sort of spell going on. Right around here, we should be reaching the last major plot turn. It usually grows from that midpoint commitment or reversal, but takes the story in yet another new direction. So there are a number of new directions here. One could have been, or was, the spell, the reveal that the spell involves Dawn, that it's not a direct attack on Joyce. And that does come from Buffy's midpoint commitment to figure out what's happening to her mom to do that trance, and it turns the story. The next scene also is a major turn because Buffy is going to encounter Glory. And this is another reason that the first few times I watched this, 
the episode felt off to me because I saw Buffy's encounter with Glory and discovering how powerful Glory is as the last major plot turn, and it seemed rather late, which made the episode feel slow. Because definitely the first time through, I, I wasn't looking for plot turns. I hadn't really thought about story structure that way at that point. But I remember feeling the episode was uneven, and I just felt like the plot didn't have that much power. But when we see it through the lens of the real main plot is Buffy's efforts with her mom, the structure works wonderfully because that is a huge turn that the spell is about Dawn, not directly about Joyce. So at 33 minutes, 35 seconds in, Buffy finds the monk still tied up. As she works on freeing him from his bonds, she asks if he's the one who left the Dagon Sphere. Behind her, Glory using exaggerated movements that are kind of cartoony and making cartoony faces sneaks up, but Buffy says to the monk, don't worry, I'm stronger than I look. I've had experience with this stuff before. Best of all, I'm not stupid. And she spins around, stands, grips Glory by the throat. But then Glory flings Buffy across the room and says, you sure about that last part? We cut back to the magic box. Giles is exhausted after the rush of customers, as are Willow and Xander, and all three slump in their chairs. The shop is closed now, and Giles says, I think I liked it better when demons would just crash in here and tear the place apart. It just seems so much simpler. This is a nice use of cutting between the scenes to keep that tension going because we don't know what is happening with Buffy, given how strong Glory clearly is. Anya is full of energy. She's the only one who is, and she's sorting out the cash register. She tells Giles he's out of crystal balls. They're really popular with amateurs, so he should restock and raise the price 10%. She also tells him the Hand of Glory packs serious power, and he better do a seven-day background check before selling them. She continues with more advice until Giles stops her and offers her a job. Anya is quiet and happy. And he tells her they'll talk shop tomorrow. Willow asks Giles about Buffy's spell, and he tells them Buffy is off investigating, but he's not too worried about her. She said she isn't doing anything rash. A quick personal update. I'm so excited. I just finished the outline for my next novel does not have a name yet, but it's my next mystery in the QC Davis series, and I'm excited because now that means I get to start the first draft. And I finally, while on the treadmill today, figured out what scene should start the story. Now, that doesn't mean that won't change, but I, I feel better because I did not have that yet. Separately, I did finish the How to Plot Your Novel from Idea to First Draft course that I've been creating. It's an online course that you can take at your own pace. Right now, people are beta testing that. Thank you for those who volunteered to do that and apologies to those who I couldn't include in this beta test, hopefully in the future. 
there will be another course for you to try out. As far as when it will be available, that's a little up in the air. It depends what people tell me. I hope to have it ready sometime in the next two or three months. And on a personal note, I'm excited to have started dining in restaurants again. I hope that wherever you are as you're listening that you're able to go and do some of the things that you may have been missing out on over the last couple years due to the pandemic. If not, I hope that that will happen very soon. Now we're back at Glory. It's 35 minutes, 47 seconds in. She beats up Buffy while telling her that this is taking valuable time away from her life. She also asks if she could rip Buffy in half like a worm and see if she'll grow into two beings. She's always wanted to try that. When Buffy hits back, Glory's offended. You can't just go around hitting people. Was Buffy born in a barn? And then she says, I just noticed something. You have superpowers. That is so cool. Can you fly? And she throws Buffy across the room again. Buffy hits the wall hard, but she is about to fight more until she hears the monk groaning and she darts toward him. Glory says, hey, hands off my holy man. But Buffy grabs the monk and she dives out the giant window with him, cushioning the fall with her own body. 37 minutes in, Glory, so angry at being thwarted, takes off one of her shoes with its stiletto heel and flings it. Then she stamps on the concrete floor so hard the concrete cracks, the pillars start to crack, and the whole building crashes down around her. We're nearing the end of the episode, and that is where we see the climax. The opposing forces have their final clash and resolve the main conflict. So if this were a Buffy faces the villain plot, it feels like a letdown because Buffy gets away for the episode, but it feels like it's pure luck. Glory gets so mad she brings the building down around herself. And yes, it's triggered by her frustration over Buffy taking the monk. But what are the odds that such a powerful uh, villain would have that happen? And it also, at least the first couple times I watched, felt like a plot hole because there doesn't seem to be a reason for Glory to be so angry. Sure, Buffy grabbed her holy man, but given how strong she is, Glory could have just jumped out the window after Buffy and grabbed the monk back. Now, this does go to that anger management theme. Glory's anger has gotten the better of her, and though she's only momentarily thwarted, she screws herself over by stamping her feet and bringing the building down. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, I mentioned that I had watched Vampire Diaries. I won't say which character, but one of them becomes a vampire. Her first day is really rough, and her friend tells her, well, that's because all your emotions and everything about you is heightened as a vampire after uh, she makes a mess of things emotionally with the guy she's seeing and she says my personality is killing me and in a way that's what we see with glory 
But if you look at this episode as being about Buffy facing this new villain, it just is not a very satisfying conclusion, which is why the first time through, I didn't love this episode despite loving many, many parts of it, including the next scene. Seeing it instead as a main plot about Buffy's quest to help her mother, then the next scene is actually the climax. And I feel like this is one of the best scenes, one of the ones I love the most in season five. At 37 minutes, 17 seconds in, Buffy and the monk hear the warehouse caving in behind them. Buffy supports him as they stagger away. He collapses against a fence and tells her his journey is done. And Buffy says, don't get metaphory on me. We have to keep going. So she definitely thinks that Glory will be able to come after her. But he tells her she has to protect the key. Many more will die if she doesn't keep it safe. Struggling to speak, he tells her the key is energy, a portal. It opens the door. And for centuries, it had no form at all. His brethren were doing a ritual when the abomination found them. They had to hide the key. They molded flesh, made it human, and sent it to Buffy. And Buffy's eyes widen and she says, Dawn. The monk says, she's the key. And Buffy says, you put that in my house. And he tells her, we knew the Slayer would protect it. And Buffy says, my memories, my mom's, he tells her, we built them. And Buffy responds, then unbuild them. This is my life. And this is where all that anger, all that frustration that Buffy has felt is there. The fact that what she has so been longing through throughout the episode is basically what her life was before the monks did this. The monk who is very near death, tells her she can't abandon the key. And when Buffy asks, what is she? He says, human, now human and helpless. Please, she's an innocent in this. She needs you. Buffy says, she's not my sister. And he responds, she doesn't know that. Buffy's face, the monk's face, so expressive, so many emotions. And the monk dies and Buffy leaves. And I see that as the climax of the episode. Buffy has learned the truth about Dawn, but she has also failed in finding out what's wrong with her mother. So then I had a question as I was outlining for today's episode. Does that make the monk or all the monks the antagonist for the episode. So more on that in a moment. First, we have the falling action part of the story where we tie up loose ends and resolve subplots. At 40 minutes, 15 seconds in, Buffy returns home. Dawn was cuddling with Joyce on the couch, but she darts away saying, I wasn't bothering her. Joyce asks Buffy what that was all about, and Buffy says, nothing, sister stuff. She knocks on Dawn's door and goes in, though Dawn tells her to go away. She sits next to Dawn on the bed and apologizes more than once. 
John says, I have this theory. It goes where you're the one who's not my sister. Because mom adopted you from a shoebox full of howler monkeys and never told you because it could hurt your delicate baby feelings. Buffy listens and tries to apologize again. Don rejects it and Buffy says, you can't even take an apology. You always do that ever since. And then she cuts off obviously realizing that Dawn is the way she is because the monks made her that way. Another theme that is hinted at here, the question of what makes us who we are and what makes us human. A spoiler as to theme, we will continue to explore that in this season. As far as the anger issues, Buffy's anger is gone now and she's dealing with the fallout of her actions, of her anger that nearly got out of control. Unlike Glory, though, Buffy did not bring down the entire house around her, but it isn't easy to fix this. Buffy tells Dawn she had a bad day. Dawn says join the club, Um, but Buffy cannot be president. She can be the janitor. Dawn is president. Buffy says, okay, and she strokes Dawn's hair. And then we get to what's so often behind anger, whether it's in fiction or in real life, fear. And this is something the two of them share. And Dawn says, what's wrong with mom? And Buffy says, I don't know. She keeps stroking Dawn's hair, and we go to credits. Going to my question of who is the antagonist for this episode, the antagonist has one job to oppose the protagonist. Not that the antagonist can't do other things, but their main purpose in the story is to oppose the protagonist, which is what makes it a challenge here. Glory opposes Buffy, but until that last confrontation, only indirectly. And she's really not concerned with Buffy. She doesn't know anything about her. And her goal to find out where the key is in this episode also doesn't directly oppose Buffy, who until the very end doesn't know where the key is. Buffy is trying to find out what's wrong with her mom. Glory doesn't know or care anything about that. It's also not Dawn because Dawn also wants to know what's wrong with Joyce. So she and Buffy are not opposed on that. Also, we discover she was never opposed to Buffy other than in that little sister way of feeling frustrated at how Buffy treats her and excludes her. Though we find out she's the key, nothing suggests that Dawn is evil. The monk tells us she's an innocent. So let's look at the monk or uh, the monk and his brethren. That is a little more opposed to Buffy because they put Dawn, they create Dawn, put her in the Summer's household, which derails Buffy in her quest to find out what's wrong with her mother because she ends up going down this blind alley and instead learning about Dawn. Their main goal, though, isn't to oppose Buffy. It's to enlist her help to ensure the key is protected. This really messes with Buffy's life, though. So in that sense, they are more of an antagonist than either Dawn or Glory. Also, 
if we see the monks creating dawn and playing with everyone's memories as the cause of Joyce's illness, which there's no direct evidence for, that does make them antagonists of the episode. And you can make a good argument for it because Joyce's headaches do seem to begin with Dawn and Buffy fighting with that conflict that the creation of Dawn introduces. Probably, though, since you have to read so much in to see that, probably the antagonist here is either Joyce's illness, whatever is wrong with her, or simply the nature of humanity that we are subject to illness, to injury, um, or fate, any one of these things. And in that sense, the antagonist prevails for the episode. Buffy doesn't find out what's wrong. She doesn't even find something to fight. And she doesn't make her mom better. So this episode shows how challenging it is to have an ephemeral antagonist. But it is done really well here because we don't see Buffy raving about fate and how terrible it is and how unfair. Instead, other characters oppose her for different reasons. Joyce, in a minor way, telling her, look, we got to get a first opinion first. Dawn throughout by being the little sister who's annoying, Glory because she uh, wants Buffy out of her way, and the monk. So all of them oppose Buffy throughout and show aspects in a way of what fate has caused to happen in her life. So a great example, if you do have that type of antagonist, of how to do that. There is no DVD commentary on this episode, so that is it other than foreshadowing, which I hope you will stick around for. If you found the story elements I talk about here helpful and you want to try them out for your own writing, you can download free story structure worksheets. Go to writingasasecondcareer.com slash story. If you're not sticking around for foreshadowing and spoilers, thank you so much for listening. Come back in two weeks for Family, where Tara puts her friends in danger in an effort to hide who she really is. And we are back for foreshadowing, which includes spoilers. This episode sets up Glory, who is the season five villain. And in so many ways, she's almost an over-the-top caricature of Buffy. She likes style and fashion. We get a hint of that here with her red dress and her shoes. She's taller than Buffy, larger than Buffy, more powerful. She has this curly hair, very traditionally feminine, as in many ways Buffy is. And she also does the banter thing while fighting, but again, not quite like Buffy. Buffy quips, and you feel like she is usually having a bit of fun with herself, even with the vampires she's fighting, 
gory jokes, but it often veers into ranting, and there is more of an edge to it. This probably could have gone in the regular part of the episode. It's not strictly spoiling anything other than that Glory is the season-long villain. But I put it here to comment that for whatever reason, I have never loved Glory as a villain, and I know a lot of people do. So I'm going to be paying attention to see uh, what it is about Glory, and I will try to uh, be fair about in my analysis about the episodes and not let that color things. Because I, I feel like with Riley, maybe I have let my um, knowing what's coming with Riley interfere with my view of how his character is created. There are some fun things, foreshadowings about Glory. It was neat to notice that she is cartoony. From day one, she does that little cartoonish sneaking up, making faces. And later, when Buffy defeats Glory, at one point, an episode or two before that, Anya suggests dropping a piano on her based on her watching of cartoons. And then part of, of what significantly weakens Glory in the last episode is they hit her with a giant wrecking ball, which also is like right out of Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner. So interesting that we have this cartoonish aspect to her that Glory embraces. Riley's suggestion that he and Buffy agree to take care of each other, such a strong foreshadowing of his despair when Buffy doesn't let him take care of her emotionally. When Joyce is ill, Buffy feels this need to maintain control and she doesn't let herself uh, show all her feelings with Riley. And this is one where you know, maybe I have been uh, in, in these spoiler sections a little too hard on Riley about it. As we'll see, this is very hard for Riley. He feels shut out and he tells her it's not about Buffy taking care of him while Joyce is ill, which is how Buffy feels when he raises it, but about her letting him take care of her. I struggle a bit with that storyline, but you can see in this episode, Riley is is very genuine. He wants to be a partner to Buffy, and you can see how important that is to him and why it would be hard for him that Buffy doesn't let him do that. In this episode, we see her discounting his ability to help her patrolling and seeing him as weak, and then she will also in the future reject any sort of emotional support from him or at least uh, any emotional support in the way that Riley wants to give that. I love that Anya so enjoys retail. It's nice to see her find something that matters to her that she enjoys. That moment where Xander is explaining to her about the have a nice day that is a nice foreshadowing of season six when Anya's friend Hallie will comment on Anya allowing or putting up with Xander correcting her. Here it seems helpful and fun and genuine because it is part of learning to do retail, to say things like have a nice day, to be nice to people even after you've got their money because they might come back. 
I have been in retail. My personality worked pretty well for it because that's my default anyway. I would be polite to people whether they were customers or not and, and be friendly. But it isn't Anya's default. Hers is not to be nasty, but it's to say whatever she thinks, even if it might hurt someone's feelings. So Xander is being helpful here. But you can see a little foreshadowing of Anya feeling over time like he is always telling her, here's how you should do things. That line of Buffy's when Joyce asks at the end, what was that about between her and Dawn? And Buffy says, sister stuff. This is the moment when Buffy commits to seeing Dawn as her sister or perhaps recognizes in her heart that feeling that Dawn is her sister and it doesn't matter how Dawn came into the family, which is a theme we will see throughout the season. Is Dawn really Buffy's sister and what does it mean to be family, which is a great lead in to the next episode, which is family, where Tara's father comes to town set on taking her away from college, and Tara does some things that create danger for everyone around her. So thank you for listening today, and I hope you will come back in two weeks for family. You can find back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Story or on my YouTube channel. And you can find the book editions of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Books. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2021. All rights reserved.